If you're tired of bad news, if you need some positivity, if you want to support small businesses, then welcome to Happy Grateful Blessed with Kaysville's own mayor, Tammy Tran. Here, you'll get to see the best of humanity from within Utah's hidden gem, Kaysville City. Every month, you'll discover small businesses, hear unique and incredible stories, and understand the difference you make in this wonderful city. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you'll never miss a chance to find a new business to support and learn what makes a city like this one work as well as it does. So join us as we explore Happy Grateful Blessed with Tammy Tran. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be here today with Hong Nguyen. Hong, thank you for being my guest on this podcast. Hi, Mayor. Thank you for having me. I am so excited because you are a candidate for House District 23. I am. I'm running for State House District 23 in Salt Lake City. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you. Let's let our listeners and people who are interested in learning a little bit more about you kind of hear a little bit about your story because it is absolutely incredible. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me, inviting me on here. So, yes, my name's Hong Nguyen. I am a business owner here in Salt Lake City. Been in the U.S. since I was one years old, so I've been here for over 40 years now. My family were refugees from Vietnam, came here in 83 when I was one. I just aged myself, but that's okay. <laughs> we are refugees from Vietnam, came over after the war, um, came my mom and dad, seven siblings, uh, arrived in California back in 83, um, living in the projects in California. Um, in 87, unfortunately, my father was killed during an armed robbery coming home from work one night. I left my mom, 35, widowed with seven children from the ages of three to 15. So life was kind of hard. Life was kind of hard living over there. I don't know if much people know about the Bay Area in the 80s, but lots rough. of cultural wars. Um, things were not very safe. But my mom had a cousin living here in Utah, and he asked her to come over, check it out. It's a better place to raise a family. So she actually moved us here in 92. And we um, we bought a little home on, on the west side of, of Salt Lake City in Glendale. And that's where I grew up for the first 10 years here um, in Utah. But since then, I moved to where I live now over on the East Bend of Salt Lake City. Um, I went to school at, at East High, where a lot of the kids in the district goes to school um, and went to the U of U and just eventually started our family business. My siblings and I started Sapa Investment Group, which owns restaurants, bars. Um, we have a medical company. So we've just do just a lot of different business. So it's been a whirlwind coming through to U.S., coming up the way we did, and now having built the company and the people that we support now. So it's been it's been a journey. Your story is inspiring. I'm sitting here listening to you. And we've talked before, and I know your story, but still, it gives me great goosebump chills. Just, it's inspiring. It's inspiring to see uh, families, how successful they can become when they pull together. And I have such admiration for your mother yeah. and your father for bringing you here. Yeah. But I mean, to be able to endure everything that she endured as a young mom and raising wonderful children and what you guys have been able to create as a family is absolutely outstanding. Yeah, thank you. It was, I mean, it was definitely something that made us stronger, you know, out of necessity, out of survival. My mom, when we first came to 
came to Utah. She actually worked at Little America in the kitchen. She was a, um, I think she kind of helped on the dessert line there. So she kind of learned the back end of the kitchen there. Eventually, oh, okay. she was able to, she actually saved up money and with her cousin, they opened up the very first pho restaurant here in Utah back in 93, 94. And, and, yeah, Utah never had a Vietnamese pho restaurant. Really? It was the so, first one? It was the very first one. That's incredible. Yeah. And then you guys have just continued to build and grow. Yeah. Is everyone, are all of your siblings involved in your companies? Everyone but one holdout, one engineer who's still holding out now. Oh, okay. But Polly will eventually join the family business. But yeah, it was something where we watched my mom kind of work in restaurants and she always did it the immigrant way where she worked her 16, 18 hour days, didn't pay herself other than the money that was made from profit. And we all worked in the restaurants doing various things, dishwashing, busing, and, you know, serving. So we learned a lot. But eventually for me, after you know, I went on to college and went on to um, go work out in corporate America in 2012, my older sister, Mai, came and said, you know, stop messing around and making other people money, come home, start the family business. And so Sapa Investment really is something where the siblings started and we you know we kind of learned from my mom how restaurants worked but we kind of did our own way incorporating other things that we've learned you know being growing up in America how you can build a company so we're really proud of what we've been able to do we employ about 500 people now through our companies 500 people in Utah yeah that is outstanding yeah so you're giving back to the community in many ways um, as business owners but also providing jobs yeah. For so many people. It's outstanding. So tell us now, okay, based upon your experiences as a child, um, growing up as a as an immigrant, I bet you learned some really valuable lessons in terms of just opportunity and, and kindness and compassion and all the things that we're talking about and we say that we're so focused on, especially here in Utah. I'm curious about what you're taking into your career moving forward as you look at the political landscape. You're running yeah. for House District 23. Why did you want to do that? You know, I've been up on the hill for the last five years now, working, advocating for the different businesses that we own. And I learned a few things when I've been up on the hill. There's not enough women. There's not enough business owners, small business owners like my family. And there's not enough diverse voices up there. And so that was a big reason why what motivated me and to be able to go and do this just to have better representation up there the the things that I think I bring to this through my lived experience is the value of hard work the value of building and creating you know growing up the way we grew up where we you know a widow and in a brand new country trying to make our own way being civically engaged, I didn't I didn't have that instilled in me. It was just something that when I became 18, I was eligible, eligible to become a citizen. I made sure I went and got my citizenship test. And then from then on, I made sure I registered and voted every single election cycle. And it was something that I felt like that was what it meant to be American, a privilege to be an American, was to be able to vote and the democracy that we live in to have a voice there. And and. Growing up in, in such a world where where we have to be able to stand up for our values and the values that I have that I have to bring is it's family values, right? It's taking care of family and making sure that you're taking care of your community at the same time and the different like the voices and opinions and experiences that people have, being able to share that to make ourselves stronger here um, with the work of 
you know, the work ethic that we have, being able to really go in and, and build something on your own and watch it grow and flourish and helping people along the way. The best part about what we've been able to do with our company at Stop Investment is the people. The people who we've had the pleasure of getting to know over the years and watch them grow. A lot of the times we've, we'd like to hire people who don't have a lot of experience and grow and nurture them that way. And they have become the most like, loyal and fiercest and hardworking members of our team and watching them from the time that they, you know, from finished school to getting married, buying their first home, starting their family. It's been the biggest pleasure of all of our lives and my family is to watch people grow as they start with our company. So I, I love the themes that you, that you mentioned, uh, family, um, hard work, um, believing in people, you know, giving people opportunities that they might not have. I think that those are all wonderful values that we hold dear. I know my family does here in Utah. And it's such a great way to represent your community. Knowing that you've had experience doing these things, a lot of times it's really easy as candidates to say what we aspirationally hope to do. But it's completely different when we can know that we've had the experience of actually doing that and building that. Yeah. I'm excited for you. Yeah, and you know the Watching how it works in our in our legislature, I am a Democrat. I've always been a lifelong Democrat because I share those core values. But when it comes to being a little bit more pragmatic about certain things as a business owner, that's in my head too, right? But what I see happen on our hill here in our current legislature and in life in general is just relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Coming up into the um, legislature as a Democrat, being a super minority, you have to learn how to work with people across the aisle. You have to learn to to connect with people and, and connect with them on a very human, real way and develop those relationships to try to pass good policy. That's my big thing is I want to make sure that when I get up there, I'm effective. I'm able to work with my Republican colleagues to be able to make it better, bring my experience, bring other people like myself's experiences out and, and highlight it to try to come up with policy that helps everyone, not just Republicans or Democrats. I, th I think that that's fantastic that you are already approaching it that way and that you have had experience already working on, on the Hill yeah. and, and working um, collaboratively with both parties. I'm kind of curious about, you mentioned um, the values that Democrats um, hold dear or that, that, you, that you hold dear. Can you talk a little bit about those things? You know, obviously Utah is kind of a Republican majority, sometimes, yeah. not everywhere in Utah, but... Um, it would be easier, maybe easier, simpler yeah. to be a Republican. Tell me why you're a proud Democrat. You know, over the last little while as I was preparing for this um, run, I've been out speaking with a lot of people in the community, Democrats and Republicans. And why I find, you know, people are like, well, what platform are you running on? When I was out there speaking with people to kind of see what are the issues that people care about, it was not surprising to hear that they care about the same things that I care about, both Democrats and Republicans. They care about great public education. They care about environment. They care about managing the growth. They care about making sure that Utah is prosperous and has a future here for our kids coming up. And so as a Democrat, when I speak with Republicans, we can we can have those same issues, I mean, those same common values to be able to build upon, right? So I don't think there's a lot of difference there between Democrats and Republicans, you know, but 
I will say as a Democrat, I believe in, in more of those things where, you know, the uh, equality for everyone and, and pro-choice and women's rights, those things do matter to me as a Democrat as well. And I know, you know, those are some hot button issues, especially right now what's happening in uh, our current political landscape. But that's okay. I'm, okay. I'm ready to have those hard conversations and hold firm in why I believe it and share my, my stories, my opinions about why those things matter for other Democrats. And hopefully, you know, when, regardless who I'm speaking to, they can find that common core to be able to say, yes, we do agree on these things. We may not disagree on this, but we can still find common ground to move forward. That's that's my hope as going up to up to the Capitol Hill. Well, I'm really I, I appreciate hearing you say that because you're right. I think we have so much more in common than we do different. Yeah. I am curious about you mentioned legislation. Can I ask you about a piece that's just been approved? Um, how do you feel about the DEI yeah, <laughs> <laughs> And the reason that I ask you is for twofold. First of all, I have my husband's family are from Vietnam. And so several of my nieces and nephews have attended the U and UCLA and um, Berkeley. So um, we, we've got... And we've got different experiences. And, you know, even my son was at the U for a little bit, and he joined the the, chi- the Chinese program or, or one of those special clubs. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I asked him, you know, why did why did you do that? And he said, well, I kind of felt like maybe I would meet some people that I had something in common with. And he was he was raised here in Utah, um, not a lot of diversity necessarily where we live and where he was raised. And so I'm just wondering, how do you feel about those about those types of programs? So House Bill 261. Um, I actually did go up and speak against the bill. And I had some conversations with some um, of my Republican friends up there. And, you know, the common thing that a lot of the Republican lawmakers I spoke with said is, this is saying that everyone should be on a level field, that there should not be any kind of special, special considerations, special considerations given for for any any one person's race or economic background which which is really great in a in i think i used a um utopian world in in my comments there that would be fantastic in a perfect world yes in a perfect world that we are not judged on the you know basis of our 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 skin or our economic background but the reality is i think about where we are right now i think about my two young sons who are biracial who's half white half um vietnamese and i think it's not going to be like that for them right now and i hope in the future it can be but until we really get to that point where everyone we feel strongly that everyone is given a fair shot we need to be able to level the playing field um i had written an article uh, in the in Salt Lake Tribune, an op-ed about how in public education, my personal experience, my personal story of coming up, that I was along the way given those opportunities to be able to level the playing field for me to get my education and go on and get my graduate degree. And I, it, it was needed. My brothers, they were in Upward Bound, a, a special program that the, the U has done for decades now that gives kids from economically diverse backgrounds ability to be able to get extra help because they may not have had the best foundation educational foundation growing up and so they need that extra help when they get into high school and college those programs make a difference for for different families like mine to be able to really you know do what we've been able to do right and to take away those opportunities now before there's a lot more work that needs to be done i think is a disadvantage to 
um, different people, immigrants, or even just people who were born here who did not have the special advantages that others may have had growing up. And if we want a better, productive, more healthy economic um, society here, we need to be able to give hands up where we can here. I, I appreciate you sharing your personal family experiences um, with those programs. I, you know, I've, I've always wondered. So I grew up in Utah County, which was predominantly very, very not ethnically diverse back then when I was growing up there. And I remember, so I have a sister that's also adopted that's Korean. She's not biological. And then I was adopted by a Caucasian family. So growing up, I mean, we noticed that we were the only Asians in the school, but, and only we noticed that because we were teased a lot. So we grew up, you know, a lot of teasing, a lot of mean bullying would be considered now. Um, but my, our parents just kind of said, well, I'm tall. I have big ears. We got teased too. And so I was kind of raised with that mindset of just, it's okay. Everyone gets teased for something. So then we raised our children here in Kaysville. And they went to Davis High and through the Davis uh, school system and had a great experience, a fantastic experience. So my question, I guess, to people who are, Asian, I guess, like me, where I'm, I'm safe asking this is, do you think that the more the more we have conversations about the diversity, that it creates more diverse diversity? Because I remember walking into rooms, and I would mo very often be the only woman in the room or at the table because we of the business that we are in and just the rooms that I would be in. And I never looked around and thought, oh, I'm the only non-Caucasian person. But I do notice more now. And I think it's because we talk about it all the time. So how do you feel about that? And do you think that that perpetuates the problem to some degree or is, is a good yeah, thing to I, be aware of? I don't think that it's an issue to talk about race. Okay. What I find myself doing, especially as I'm out being a candidate now and I'm meeting with someone, I kind of have to fill them out to see how comfortable they are about talking about race, right? Well, I would love to be able to not see race when I walk into a room, but the reality is that is where we are right now. I think by speaking about it more and more, just like speaking, you know, years ago, decades ago, when homosexuality was such a hush-hush thing, right? And now that we've spoken more and more about it and we realize, oh, our nephew or our friend's child, that it's a lot more common than we expect we expect, then we get a little bit more comfortable talking about it. And I think with race, if we talk about the differences between you and I, we put it out there and then we can find the commonalities. Just because you're black and I'm Asian, that's still two different races. Right. We have different things culturally growing up, but at the same time, we're still Americans. We can still believe these things and share these commonalities here. I'm I'm of the opposite mindset that if we talk about it and we and more and more people talk about it and are comfortable about talking about it, then it becomes less and less of a thing. Hmm. That's that's very interesting. And I and I do I do agree with you to that point. Yeah. It's it's been interesting. So you mentioned um the homosexuality. Um how do you feel about that the transgender? bathroom bill you know it, that's that's a hard thing for me um i don't know what problem they're trying to fix right now with that transgender bill um there's a lot of nuances a realist real world problems that also is brought into the um that bill in terms of like you know i I have a young son who's who's four. I'm not going to send him into a men's restroom by himself. I need to, of course, take him into the women's restroom with, with me. You know, there's a lot of nuances like that. But right now, when you're trying to say, um, when you're trying to legislate people's biological gender and if they had, you know, 
had any kind of post-op surgery to change it? And then well, were you really born male or female? We're getting into issues that that really are not issues. People are who they are. If we are ha having huge problems across the, the nation, across the state, that says there's a lot of violence that are happening in bathrooms and public restrooms because people aren't using the restroom that they were assigned at birth or whatever it might be, then we can look at it. But that's not a real thing to okay. me. That's not a real problem. And we should be focusing on real problems. In the state of Utah, we have public education access problems. We have environmental issues. We have growth issues. We have affordability issues. Let's focus on the real issues that we need to fix, be able to create that prosperous Utah that we all want, rather than getting into these cultural wars right now. Very well said. Um, you mentioned some issues that are probably important to you. So as a new legislator, coming into the next session yes. next year. Um, what are some things that you're going to focus on or interested in? You know, I will, as a freshman legislature, especially where the House only has two years before you really can get in, my thing, my method, as in everything that I've done, I don't go in like with blowing doors open and trying to change the world. I want to go in with my eyes wide open and be able to go and help and support people who are already taking the lead, different Democrats who are taking the lead on different policies and be able to lend support that way. If I had a you know, a blank check and I could go ahead and write whatever policy I want, I would be focusing on public education. I would be focusing on the Great Salt Lake. I would be focusing on our environmental air and I would be focusing on affordability. Right now in Salt Lake City, in Salt Lake School District in particular, where we have lost, I think, 10% of our population, our student population over the last 10 years, that's a huge issue right yes. now. And it's not that there's an issue with, with our public education per se with Salt Lake School District, it's just an affordability issue that young families can't afford to live in Salt Lake City and have their kids go to school. Having gone through elementary, all through high school in Salt Lake School District myself, I know what incredible school district that we have there and what incredible educators and administrators that we have. I've met with the principals at different schools. I've gone and I've sat in classes. I used to work at um, a Title I school, Mountainville Elementary on the west side, all through my undergrad, all through my four or five years there. And I saw how much... How much people care and the lack of resources that they have right now. So trying to bring more resources into public education, helping support lawmakers who are already running those public education and making more better, well-informed education, that's what I would do on priority one if I could. That, that would be fantastic. So we've heard the legislature talk back and forth about a bill increasing salaries for teachers. Yeah. And as I was listening to, uh, you know, just the news, thinking about it, I thought, you know, it, the disparity seems from an outsider looking in to be that certain schools have obviously are from wealthier areas, but also the teachers from those schools tend to be from wealthier areas. So they have more money to self-pay, you know, special stickers and special things for their mm -hmm. classrooms. And then there's a disparity there. So I was just kind of wondering, do you think that the money should be spent on salaries directly or maybe in a different way? How do you feel about that? Well, that bill that was passed, I believe you're talking about the one that also passed school vouchers. It was kind of it was an increase to school uh, pay for, base pay for teachers in their mm -hmm. salary, but also passed the vouchers. The vouchers was a hard one for me because the vouchers took away from from the public funding that would have gone to um, public education. It was one of those you know we'll give you this if you get you that, get that right? right, 
And I, you know, I am one who believes that parents should have choice in education, but at the same time, find other ways to be able to fund it so that it's not coming out of the the um, funding that's going to public education as it is. So I believe that we do need to give teachers better pay right now. Um, there, I think there was a bill being proposed in this session that has to do with performative pay for teachers to get them into the six figures. Yes. You know, that that really has a lot of nuances with that because some of these teachers, if they are be able to perform well, it's because they're given resources. They're in, exactly. in school districts that right. have a lot more resources to be able to help get those, um, those testing scores up to where they need to be. And so it doesn't help with other school districts or other areas where they don't have as much resources. So... You know, it, it, I think there's a lot more creative ways that Utah can come up with to be able to fund public education and get teachers to a livable wage that is respectable around the country and be able to get the resources into the classrooms that we need. And, I mean, para, uh, paraprofessionals, I believe 30, a class size of 30, especially in K through 8th grade, is way too big of a class load for teachers to handle, right? The sweet spot, I think I saw a statistic, I might get it wrong, but Utah has one of the highest um, per pupil classrooms to teacher ratio in the nation right now. So it, it's, it's hard yeah, where I we need to really look at bringing those, yeah, bringing those per student ratios down for teachers so it's manageable mm -hmm. and trying to bring in more paraprofessionals to assist the teachers to give, teach to give students a lot more one-on-one -on -one attention. I, I completely agree. We have a lot of kids, but like you said, the, the student population is reducing. Uh, Davis County closed a school, voted to close a school at the end of the school year. I, Salt Lake County... Or Salt Lake, Salt Lake City, School District is closing District. five or six. Right. I yeah. Mean, that's that. That's a big change as we look towards the future in yeah. terms of what will our population look like. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, you know more over than just education. It's affordability in Salt Lake City, and and the the. Um, exodus we're having from people who can't live in Salt Lake City. And that, that becomes a real issue for us when we're looking to the future, the future health of our economy, um, especially in Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City has 92% of the registered businesses is considered small business. We have such a vibrant, beautiful, like... A diversity of businesses. And if we can't have enough people to support those businesses in Salt Lake City, then we're going to be in real danger of losing what's unique to Salt Lake City. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. I was going to ask you, so in terms of having a an, an in interesting, probably very unique childhood experience here in Utah, um, I was speaking to Senator Kwan a couple months ago. She was on the podcast, and she said, you know, coming and representing the Chinese community, it gave me an opportunity to, to run some bills that were very specific to our community in terms of needs. And so I'm just wondering, is there anything that you feel like you'll be able to bring forward that will help specifically maybe ethnic, ethnic um, minority people, I guess, in Utah? So I, I love Senator Kwan. She's been great to me to support me in this whole race. And um, what I realized, I did not realize at first, in this legislature, there's never been a refugee elected to the state legislature, and there's never been a Vietnamese or Southeast Asian uh, represented in our state legislature. So there will be a lot of firsts if I get elected to the seat. Um, 
So my nephew actually shared with me, so he's a third-year student at the U of U. He's studying computer science. And he told me this just yesterday, that he went to, you know, Chinese New Year's coming up, and he went to a celebration that was with the U of U and Salt Lake Community College, where um, the Asian groups got together to do a celebration. Um, there's, He said there's quite a bit of people in the room. There are quite a bit of students. And someone stood up and said that, did you guys know that there's going to be a first Vietnamese American running for the state legislature? And he said everyone kind of chatted, really? everyone clapped That's and cheered. And, and they said, how many of you guys are registered to vote? And I think he said there's only like four or five raised their hand. And then the person said, and I don't know who this person was, but the person said, now that you know that there's a Vietnamese American running for the state legislature, that we the first elected ever to our legislature, how many of you guys will register and vote now? And then the rest of them all really? raised their hand. It was so cool. And and someone at the end was telling them where to go to, to register to vote. This The group of Asian Americans in Utah, it's a small number, but we're growing. A lot of us do own businesses. A lot of us have own our own homes. We pay into this, this tax base for the state's revenue. The fact that a lot of these kids were so just excited that there was going to be someone from their own community being elected, that makes a big difference. And that We want people to be civically engaged. We want people to register to vote. It really matters. And they're only going to do that and be motivated to do that when they feel like they have a voice being represented up there. Right. And so that was that was a cool story. And, that is neat. you know, Senator Kwan has done a lot to represent the different businesses that are owned by Asian Americans there. I want to bring those two. But I'm also sensitive to where I live. You know, I live on the east bench of Salt Lake City. We cover Harvard, Harvard, Yale area. We cover Hogo Zoo, the Salt Lake Country Club, a lot of Sugar House. And, and that this district of mine is not as racially diverse as some areas in our valley. So that's why, you know, it would be great to be elected as the first refugee ever elected to the state. But I also want to do my district proud to represent the issues that matter to them. And that's where I was saying, you know, my listening tour of going out and finding those commonalities of education, of environmental issues, clean air, water, of affordability, of managing the growth that we've had, homeless issues. I serve on the women's um, the Geraldine King Women's Advisory Board. I've been there since day one of the formation of that board. My my businesses that I own in downtown Salt Lake are near the Resource Center. So we developed a weekly cleaning that we go around with the residents and we give them vouchers to come and we always sign up 10 people every week to clean and we always have a waiting list of people who want to come and help with my staff who volunteer their time and myself. We go, we clean up the neighborhood. You know, we... we Make sure that the residents who live in that resource center feel proud of the area that they they live in as well, so that they're keeping up and cleaning and we're cleaning. So it's it's a win win situation there. And then I also serve on the downtown community safety council that is made up of a lot of different business owners who are talking about downtown and the economic viability of downtown and how we make sure that we are helping our unhoused friends and getting them the resources and also making sure that businesses can stay open in downtown. All of these things are a way for, for us to be able to 
to show up and to give back and to be part of the community. And and so I think a lot of these things like matter not only for the Asian community, but people in my district, people who go downtown, who visit businesses, business owners who want to be able to still offer their services to the community. Yeah. That's fantastic. I'm so glad that you shared that. I didn't know that about you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know serve on kind of companies. That's, ex- that's I'm kind impressive. of bad. I serve on a lot of boards. It's it's fun. I serve on the PBS board. Oh, okay. The PBS board was always kind of important to me to be on because I was one of the ones who learned how to speak English by watching by watching PBS when I was oh, younger, gosh. watching Sesame Street, Barney, and Friends, all of those shows. So I'm on the PBS board. I'm also on the um, Salt Airport board to be able to kind of look at the at people coming in tourism dollars i'm on the visit salt lake board as well it's fun serving on these boards because i get to meet so many people who care about our community who want to see it thrive and have such different ways that they're contributing to this community so it's been fun you have so many incredible experiences and knowledge to offer your district, well, in our state. So I'm, I'm really glad that you're running. This Thank is going to be fantastic. I was going to ask you, so you talked a little bit about growth and, and homelessness as well. Um, in Davis County, we're now being tasked with the requirement to provide Code Blue winter shelter. And so our plan that we're putting forth to the legislature is, okay, we want to provide permanent shelter, a permanent facility so that we can support our friends in need that are unsheltered and have in need of services. So what what is working in Salt Lake that you're seeing and what could be better? Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to put you on the no, spot no. with that. You probably weren't prepared for that question. Thank you for stepping up in, in Davis County to be able to have a permanent shelter. That's something that Salt Lake County has been asking for years now when we moved to the um, to the resource center model to ask other counties to be able to step up. So thank you for being willing to step up and help carry that for all of us for the state. Um, you know, when I as I serve on the downtown community council, one of my um, one of the friends I have is the mayor of South Salt Lake, and they have the uh, men's resource center out there. From day one, with the men's shelter being out, and you know, and it can be arguably one of the more difficult population, right? Um, they made sure that they got funding to be able to have a police unit that's housed within their sh- their resource center. When I was at one of the meetings with the downtown safety council last year that we had. Yeah, about last year, I raised the question: Why do we not have within all of our other shelters a um, a in-house police unit? Because what happened, what worked really well at the men's shelter was the same police officers. I believe they had five full-time officers. They built relationships with the residents there, with the staff there. They created a set of like culture of uh, appropriate behavior and what's not appropriate. And when you was not appropriate, other residents, staff members, police officers can call it out, right? And so it kind of maintained a healthy, healthy environment to be able to see the same faces and kind of hold everyone accountable. When I brought that up to the community council, why, not, I'm sorry, not community council, but the downtown safety council, why do all these other facilities not have in-house um, police officers? We were able to address it. We were able to go to the state legislature, get funding for it. And this past summer, this past July, we were able to implement um, every single resource center in Salt Lake County had an established full-time dedicated officers who who worked within the resource center. So for the Geraldine King Resource Center, we were able to have, I think we got four full-time officers to work there. And that has done wonders to be able to just make 
make sure they're managing um, the the community inside and outside. The officers do, will do regular patrols around to make sure that people are not loitering, that um, that criminal activities were not happening around the center too. So for me as business owner who has businesses right across the street from the resource center, I saw the immediate impact that having those officers did. So that worked really well to be able to have those resources directly housed inside the resource center. Um, you know, the VOA uh, Volunteers of America, we have great partnerships with them. When I say we, it's it's a different uh, business communities around the area that they are responding whenever there's issues. They will come in and work together as partners with the city, with law enforcement, with the residents to be able to kind of manage those those um, those centers. Those are the things that are working well. Now the problem that we that we still have not been able to solve is just being able to get unhoused um, unhoused members into permanent housing. Just we just don't have enough units right now, and it is a cost issue where developers right now are not incentivized in the right way to be able to afford to to build to um, develop more affordable housing for for the uh, this population. So that's that's a challenge. That's a state issue. That is not a Salt Lake City issue to have to figure out. You're 100 percent right on on th- that being a state issue. I made a recommendation that hey, um, Governor Cox is talking about he would like to maybe see a, a decrease or even a cut in income tax. I said, how about this? Why don't we give developers, business owners, residents income tax credits for for providing support, for building shelters, for building, mm-hmm. um, for allowing shelters to be built within their communities, for building uh, homes within their own homes, internal mm-hmm. ADUs, yeah. that where they can take their family members back and live and remodel the space. And so I think that Definitely, so many people are trying to fix this problem and work on it, but I think it's thinking outside the box. Like, for example, housing police officers inside the residential treatment centers or the centers, I think that's brilliant because Mm -hmm. then everyone participating can feel a level of safety and security, and that probably makes a huge, huge difference. Yeah. And, Mayor, you mentioned Code Blue. Um, I had the, the just the distinct honor to be able to go volunteer at one of the cold blues that we had a few weeks back um, at the Lutheran Church down the Second East in Salt Lake City. And normally whenever I go to volunteer at shelters, I'm behind the the kitchen line kind of cooking or serving up meals. But this time I purposely wanted to be kind of in the thick of it, wanted to really interact directly with the residents. And the residents generally that come through um, on Cold Blue are the residents who refill shelter for whatever reason um, and they are only coming up because it's you know, negative I think when it's 15, 15. degrees mm-hmm. is when tar- Cold Blue comes on. And so interacting with uh, this population and kind of seeing, speaking with them and kind of hearing their stories, it was a whole nother level of being able to understand kind of the issues and, and some of the challenges that these residents are facing right now. So if I would highly recommend anyone who has the opportunity when you get when if there's another cold blue this year, please go in. Please volunteer. They have the hardest time staffing between the hours of midnight and six a.m. because they do need volunteers to be able to supervise those hours as well. So I I highly recommend anyone who's been wanting to to go do it. It's a pretty pretty incredible experience. It's a eye opening experience. I appreciate that recommendation. I had the opportunity to participate in the point in time count this last mm-hmm. weekend, and I've never done that before. And 
honestly, I have to say I've been very naive to to the problems that that the unsheltered population faces because I, I haven't spent a lot of time learning about it. But like you said, it was very eye-opening for me. I, I just have more compassion and more understanding. And I will take your your offer to uh, go volunteer because I think it would be really interesting to be able to put a face to the stories and the experiences and the numbers. Yeah. Because these are our family members. These are mm-hmm. our friends that are in need. Yeah. And and as, if we all are willing to educate ourselves and to learn more about it, I think we can be a part of that solution yeah. instead of just thinking that it's not my problem. Yeah. And, and in Davis County, we've done a good job of, of not having well, of having other resources for people. And so when we talk about having these these conversations, the really, the, the instant reply is, well, we don't have problems. And I was even thinking that myself, but I, well, we clearly do. And so thank you for everything that you're doing <laughs> to, to yeah. help people on, in so many different, in different ways. You told us a little bit about the area that you're serving and kind of what you're, why you're running. Um, I guess, how has your experience been as a candidate so far? You know, we we just submitted our signatures last week. We got our thousand signatures to be able to get on the ballot. The most fun part, the funnest part about what when we're out getting signatures is actually meeting a lot of my neighbors, neighbors on my streets who I've lived there for the last two decades, and and we've just never had the chance to be able to just meet each other. You know, I know a lot of my immediate neighbors on my street, but when I go one street over and I'm able to introduce myself and say, hey, I'm running for office to represent this area in the house. It takes a whole nother level of, well, come in then. And people were wanting to just really chat, especially to hear that one of their neighbors in their community is wanting to run to represent. So that's been a lot of fun being out meeting people. Um, You know, the other thing is people who are saying, you know, I will vote for any Democrat on the the ballot. (laughs) That's kind of fun. But other people saying, you know, thank you for being willing to throw your hat in the ring. Anyone who's willing to step up to this challenge. Right now, where we are with our political landscape, it's hard. As this session has been hard for me. The la- we're only This is the start of the third week. The session has been hard. It's been hard on another very personal level with the DEI rollbacks, with um, transgender bills. We've made so much progress over the last 10 years on making it much more accessible and equitable for people from all walks of life. And what I'm seeing happening right now is, is rollbacks of, of these things. And, and for someone who, who, who is a minority and who have young children, it's, it, it makes me take stock of where are we going as a, a, a country? Why do we have to get into these political like identity? Uh, what's, what's the word? I'm sorry. Uh, politic identities, right? Mm-hmm. Why can't we just as legislatures focus on the bigger issues that we need to worry about to make sure we have a great state rather than things where families should be family issues that they should focus on and take care of within their families. So, so it's been, it's been hard for me um, trying to step into this, but at the same time, I know who I am and the work ethic that I have and my abilities to, to build relationships and to be able to connect with people on a real meaningful level, to be able to get them to see the humanity in me first before they see anything else. And I think that's what still gives me hope to be able to get up there and on the hill and be able to connect with Republicans and Democrats alike to, to pass more common sense bills. I think everyone, I don't, I don't want to ever say that this person is bad 
sad just because they are X. I want to hear their stories, and I hope that I have that strength to be able to he- get them to hear my story as well. So, so that's what I don't know. That's what still gives that's me hope to be able to get up there, bring my business experience up there as a mm-hmm. business owner, as a mother, as a person who's grown up in Utah for the last thirty something years, and share that story with them. Well, I I appreciate your perspective on on some of the bills that are um in you know in the process of getting getting signed I guess yeah. um at the Capitol because I I tend to you know we all sort of look at things from our perspective based upon our experiences I I really I think and our our listeners are probably also really learning so much about you in terms of your unique perspective your campaign is a little bit unique do you want to talk <laughs> about that a little bit my my campaign's very unique and then people keep poking at my campaign do they <laughs> in terms of you know how what I brought to this campaign is the lessons that I learned from building my business, right? I'd never used consultants. We just went in there and built it on our own. And you did we, the work we, yourselves. So we did the work ourselves. We made mistakes along the way, but we always came out better, stronger, and smarter because we learned from those lessons. And so coming into this campaign, I decided to not use consultants. I decided... Why I'm doing this is I'm building this for the next generation. I feel like I'm the bridge. You know, I'm in my 40s. I'm building this for the next generation of leaders coming up in their 20s and 30s. And so putting my money where my mouth is, I put together a very young campaign team who's never done it before, necessarily ran campaigns or done field director work, but they have ambition. They have desire. They are civically civically engaged. They want to be involved because they understand that it matters. So I put together a young team who has been helping me drive this the entire time. Um, I brought along today my campaign manager, Janessa Jamo. Say hi, Janessa. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Janessa, I'll let her introduce herself but when I met her I was just so incredibly taken away by how how strong and smart and ambitious and how much she cares about people and this community and lifting people and so I, I hired her and we are just figuring it out together yeah a little bit about me my name is Janessa Jamo I'm a recent graduate from Westminster College in 2022 I studied three degrees, political science, global studies, and economics. My passion for um, politics and getting more civically engaged really started my senior year of high school at Judge Memorial Catholic High School right in our district. Um, My AP government teacher, Ms. Pugh, who I actually had the privilege to go visit last week um, and do a presentation about this campaign and get some of our recently turned 18 voters to sign off on our petitions. She taught us a lot about the importance of primary elections, um, voter registration laws and access, and specifically the gerrymandering that occurs across our country. Um, As a Black woman living in America, I always knew that racism existed and that it was a real thing, but I didn't know how coded it was into our voter laws. And once I learned about that, I just... I just really blossomed into wanting to get all of our underrepresented groups here in Utah registered to vote, more civically engaged, and especially our youth to care and to see their representation there. Um, What I have really learned is that you have to meet people where they're at. And that's something that I really love about Hong as a candidate is her her ability and willingness to meet the youth where they're at and to go reach out to these more unconventional voters. We've heard a lot of things that like, don't waste your time. Um, 
trying to engage voters underneath 50 years old because they don't turn out to vote. And I mean, we've seen those numbers in our district looking at the research, but I have, we both believe if you don't meet the people where they're at, if you don't go knock on their doors, if you don't go to these college campuses and try to engage these voters, they will never vote. I remember the very first time a underrepresented person, it was actually Representative um, Senator Luz Escamilla came and knocked on my door in Taylorsville and said she was running for office. It was like amazing to see a woman of color doing this. And instantly I was like, I want to do something like this. And I feel so privileged to have the opportunity to run this campaign along Hong that she trusted me to do this um, and opening the door for me as I potentially take my journey to run for office one day as well. Yeah, that's incredible. I love the fact that Hong, obviously you could afford any team you wanted and and you're choosing to give people who are really interested and young an opportunity to learn with you. Yeah, yeah. The other one that's not here today, I have to mention him, is Henry Gray, also a recent graduate from college, born and raised in the district. He's helping me with my field work right now. So between the three of us, I mean, we do have advisors, don't get me wrong. We have lots of advisors around. Senator Escamilla, she's a great supporter. She's She was the one who first, very first brought it to, to the idea in my head to run for office. I was wondering, who encouraged you? Yeah, it was, it was Senator Escamilla five years ago who wanted me to run for office. And so... We have advisors around us right now who's current lawmakers, former lawmakers, people who's done it. But I just I love the team that we put together of these, you know, Jeanette and Henry that really wakes up every day and they're like ready to just go at it. So it's been it's been fun watching and I'm hoping, you know, they'll be our next leaders someday. Well, they will, especially when they have good mentors and you have you have reasons to see um, to aspire to, yeah. to be successful and to be able to do things because you can see that you can. And and I think that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to talk about, we've talked a lot about House, House District 23, but what the boundaries are of our district. Oh, good. So they go from 500 South University Boulevard to I-80 East. So that's the north to south. And then the east to west is about 11th East to all of Emigration Canyon, as well as some of Summit Park. Only oh. the first 113 homes in Summit Park. So. And you've yeah. got that exact number. So we're, yep, yep, yeah. we're multi-county. We are coming for you guys in Summit Park next week. <laughs> yes, Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. In, in closing, do you have anything that you want to leave with our listeners? You know, thank you for this opportunity to share my story. It's one of those things where growing up, I never thought... I, mean, I never thought our family was any different from others. I just thought, you know, you go through hardship, you bond together, you work for survival, and then you just charge forward. Out speaking with people and people saying, you know, that's the American dream. And I never thought of it that way, but it's been incredible to really see it through other people's eyes, what we've been able to do. And I just want to be able to give other people that same opportunity. So so thank you for my opportunity here, Mayor, to be able to share the story with everyone. And if you guys see me out there up on the hill, out on the streets while we're canvassing, please say hello. Please share that I'm running. I, I just... Um, we're going to do a grassroots style. We're going to meet everyone we can in this district at their doors and be able to just connect with them to be able to get their vote. So thank you for this opportunity. Well, well thank you. We wish you luck. And I'm so excited to continue watching your campaign. So thank you. To all my podcast listeners, thank you for listening. I really appreciate your feedback and your support. Please leave comments and please leave suggestions for future guests. And most importantly, subscribe. Thank you.